uh, Revelation 20, verse 5 through 15. And the topic of the message tonight is to hell with the devil. Um, there was a Petra song used to play that, to hell with the devil. And uh, so we went over those first four verses last week. And I just want to read them quickly. I saw the angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who's the devil, Satan, bound him for a thousand years. He cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and put a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. I saw the thrones and they were set on them and the judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshiped this or the image and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they, were, they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So all of us who are alive now and remain on this earth, whose lives are surrendered to the will of Christ, not just in word, but truly in our hearts, wanting to live for Christ every day. Any moment now, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be snatched away. And many people who have been living a compromising life, who have not been living a surrendered life, are going to immediately know, I just missed the rapture. And the Bible is going to say it's going to be a snare on the earth. And so those people are going to dig in. They're going to come to church to see who's here. And hopefully the pastor won't be, you know. But in, the, in the old uh, Left Behind movies, the pastor gets left behind. And, and he starts teaching Revelation frantically. And they're all underlining their Bibles, the book of Revelation. And uh, studying prophecy to figure out uh, how to navigate those seven years. But then there's going to be 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of, of Jews who are going to be mighty uh, John the Baptist, Elijah's, uh, great prophets throughout the earth preaching powerfully. There'll be two people in particular, most think that it's Moses and Elijah themselves that are going to come and be in the holy city and the whole world to be focused on them as they're bringing plagues uh, on, the, on the earth and, and they can't die. They're invincible for quite a long time. And then God allows the invincibility to leave and they're murdered and their bodies lay there for quite some time. So the whole world is going to be very aware of what's happening. But the Antichrist is going to come on the scene for those first half, three and a half years and he's going to be rather successful. He's going to say peace, peace, and everybody's going to buy into uh, his agenda, and it's going to seem, even though the tribulations pouring on the earth, cataclysms are happening, yet he's able to spin it in such a way to keep smelling like roses. The three and a half year period, he's going to set himself in the temple, the new rebuilt temple the Jews are going to build, and he'll, instead of dedicating the building, he'll open the Holy of Holies to all the Jews' horror, and he'll set himself on the mercy seat, which is sort of built like a throne, if you think about it. And he'll then say, I am Christ. The Jews I worldwide are going to open up and they're going to realize we rejected the true Messiah. And the Antichrist is going to be furious. And, and the Jews are going to run to the Jordanian border where there's a, a part of Jordan today uh, the Edom, where the Edomites were, a place called Petra, a very famous rock city. Um, 
and God will protect them for that last three and a half years. Most of them won't make it. Two-thirds of them won't make it. The Antichrist is going to flood out of his mouth and consume them. They'll die as they're heading to the border, but one-third will make it. And then throughout the earth, people won't take the mark of the beast, and it'll be horrible because they can't buy, they can't sell, they can't hide. Um, and they're going to be horribly persecuted, beheaded. And we saw earlier in Revelation where those people had been killed by the Antichrist in the tribulation period. They do not have their bodies yet. They're under the altar and they're crying out, how much longer till we have our resurrected bodies, basically. And the Lord said, give it a little time. And we, as the believers have been raptured, are in our new bodies at the seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb, at the end of that seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb, which will happen to coincide with the seven-year tribulation period on the earth, we will mount up on white horses along with Jesus, and we will come down to the earth. And at the beginning of the millennial reign, those who have been beheaded and died in the tribulation period will be given their new bodies at that time to then continue on earth along with us, a new, a new renewed earth, um, and we will rule with reign with Christ and they as well for a thousand years. Satan is not cast into hell yet. We saw earlier where the beast and the Antichrist, or the prophet and the beast, the Antichrist, were cast, those two were cast into the lake of fire. So understand there's Sheol, which is Hades, which had an apartment for the righteous, an apartment for the wicked. When Christ raised from the dead, that compartment of the righteous was was um, emptied out. He set the captivity free, the bosom of Abraham, paradise. But the compartment of Hades is still intact, and that's where everybody is now that have not put their faith in Christ. And also, there's evidently uh, uh, another place called the Abuso. And it's like a jail for demons that have um, gone outside the boundaries God gave them. He, he said, you got to stay within this boundary. And they went outside and he locked them up. And um, at this point, Satan is not thrown into, the, into actual hell, Gehenna, the eternal lake of fire. He's put into this jail area called the Abuso. And he's held there, jailed up for a thousand years. But at the end of that thousand years, he is going to be released. Now, Let's go on. I'm going to make a point, but I'm going to make it here in a different spot. And in verse 5 here tonight, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So you had people who lived in the thousand-year millennial reign, but they also died in the thousand-year millennial reign. And people who were born in the millennial reign, people who were alive during the tribulation period, who are living in the millennial reign, who die. And those who are born in the millennial reign, who can die. And those who that are righteous, um, they are sort of like us when we die now. The Bible makes it clear in 1 Thessalonians 4, to be absent from, absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, but not in our new resurrected bodies yet. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to graduate together with all those who have died in Christ from the beginning of Adam all the way up to the rapture. And so now these who have died in the millennial period, they're maybe have a temporary body or maybe they're in spirit 
um, in, the, in the presence of God, just like dead people are now. We don't know if they have a temporary body or they're in spirit with the Lord, but they don't have their resurrected body yet. So these people who died during the millennial period, they don't die, get their new body, come back to earth and reign. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, weren't you here yesterday with a different body? Um, no, they have to wait for the thousand years to be completed uh, before they'll get their new body. So this is again the first resurrection. But blessed and holy is he who is a part of that first resurrection. So there is a tremendous blessing on those who are ready at their death or at the rapture of the church to be um, resurrected because we are going to rule and reign with Christ in a unique way. We later see those who died in the tribulation period. It said, how much longer are we going to have to wait that we could serve in the new kingdom? And uh, so it seems like those who have believed in the tribulation period or those who believed in the millennial period are not in the same status for eternity as those who believed in the Lord uh, before the rapture. So there is a special blessing on us, especially us who make it through the last days. There are special rewards for us, special challenges for us. Sunday morning, we, we looked at this in James 5, where that one of the, the big things Satan's going to do is try to make us wealthy. And it's a rich man getting to heaven. It's like a camel getting through the eye of a needle. It says you've stored up treasures, but it's going to be for your judgment, not for your blessing. And Jesus in Matthew 6 said, store up your treasure in heaven. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The only way I see in the scripture to keep our hearts from being on our treasures on the earth is to be working and consciously focused on storing up treasure in heaven. That's it. I don't see another way. And again here, um, we see that there's a blessing on those who are a part of that first resurrection. And he actually gives a list of, of, of the blessedness. He said they're blessed and holy. It says in verse 6 that they, the, the second death has no power over them. And we'll talk about that in a second. They shall be priests and they shall reign during that thousand-year millennial period. Now, the rest of the dead, it tells us that they are going to go to judgment, that it, they're not going to be blessed. Jesus makes it clear in John 5 that there's going to be two resurrections. In John 5, verse 29, he said there's going to be a resurrection of life but there's also going to be a resurrection of condemnation. We as human beings are made to live eternally. And so we're going to live eternally. And so this is why it's important to make sure we understand that eternal life is not time. Because everybody's going to have eternal time. Eternal life is a quality of life in Christ. And it doesn't start when we die and get in, our, get in our new bodies. It starts right now. That's why Jesus says, you who are alive, you're never going to die. We who are alive and born again, we are right now never going to die. We're going to leave this body and get a new body, 
but it's going to happen in, in a second. We're going to groan. We're going to feel like, I don't want to leave this body because I feel naked for a fraction of a second. But then we get in our new bodies. We won't feel the sting of death. We won't feel that we died. We're just going to go from life at this address <laughs> to a life, you know, uh, with an with address in heaven. We're going to go from this earthly body and we're going to go to be the presence with the Lord with either a new or temporary body or in the spirit, but we're going to be in the presence of the Lord waiting uh, for that rapture of the church to, to be caught up together with all believers of all times to get our new bodies and for the marriage supper of the Lamb. <clears throat> and so everybody's going to get a new body. You're going to have a body for hell that is going to have teeth just simply to gnash with because of the pain. You're going to have eyes to see that you're in a place of total darkness. You're going to have ears to hear the screams of those in the lake of fire. You're going to have a body. Jesus, go through the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says you're bound up. <laughs> then he says you're cut up in pieces. And then you're cast into outer darkness. So it's horrific. So everybody's going to get a new body, one unto damnation and one unto eternal life. Well, in verse 7, now when the thousand years was expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Now remember, interesting, in verse 3, it says he must be released for a little while. Now it says he's released for a little while from that prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Now you say, Gog and Magog, I remember that. Ezekiel chapter 38, battle. Yes, there is a battle in Ezekiel, but it's clearly not this battle, because in that Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle, um, the Gog and Magog, which makes up a, a big part of Russia, along with a number of other countries, come to war against Israel, this phenomenal host. And God fights for Israel. And five-sixths of Gog and Magog Gog are wiped out. So in the tribulation period, <laughs> uh, God is not fighting um, for Jerusalem at that time because the Antichrist is is uh, put himself upon the throne there. But it's the same spirit. So sort of a, there, there's going to be this um, same spirit against Satan for a thousand years, had to rethink this, and he thought, man, that Gog and Magog thing where I get all the nations to come and war against Christ in Jerusalem, you know, it would have worked. I, I got to try it again a second time. So it's sort of a, a, a rebooting of that same battle that we read about in 3839, but it's Satan this time launching this battle as Jesus now is ruling the reign in, in Jerusalem for the thousand years. And, uh, and notice there in, in verse 9, and they went out on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp and the saints and the beloved city, Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. It wasn't much of a battle. <laughs> and the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Notice there, it's not an annihilation. There's some... Matter of fact, most religions outside of us and the Muslims 
most religions have either no hell or they have a uh, annihilation hell. You, you're tormented for a short time and then you cease existing as if you never existed. The Bible is emphatic here. In the Greek, it's emphatic. It is for eternal life, but it's an eternal damnation. It's not an annihilation. It's not a temporary punishment. So Satan, after a thousand years, must be released. He then shows up and he tells earth. And so what do we discover? The whole earth has had to follow God's rules. It tells us that Jesus rules with the rod of iron, that if somebody breaks a law, they're just crushed like a rod of iron crushes a clay pot. And we also have rods of iron in the same way. So men are all outwardly looking righteous, looking submitted to God. But in reality, in their hearts, there's a vast multitude. I don't know if it's a majority, but there is a tremendous amount of people who now have been born and raised uh, in that thousand-year millennial reign I talked about last week. I think it'll be a population. If you have four people, four kids per family and, and all of that, you end up with uh, eight to 10 billion people. But again, in Genesis, when people lived to be almost a thousand years old, they were having kids up in their hundreds. So um, it could be a lot more than four kids each. But with four kids each, and without, and again, there's healing going on. Um, and so you don't have a lot of people dying of disease. And of course, you don't have the crime, people being murdered. That's not happening at all. <laughs> because if anybody does that, uh, there's immediate serious capital punishment. So there's basically no crime and people being murdered or very little of it. So you're going to have a huge population. But they... Satan comes and he's able to give his shtick. You guys know what that is, right? Give his little shtick. You guys know that word? Um, he gives his, his, his little sales pitch and, and people are, their hearts are revealed. I'm not submitted at all to Christ. I, I hate living on this earth where everybody's so righteous and goody, two shoes and, and, and you know, everybody's, you know, worshiping Jesus and want to hear Bible studies and, and want to sing and have prayer meetings and, and, you know, give glory to God. And, you know, those angels, I hate seeing angels, you know, uh, down at, uh, at, at the coffee shop. I don't think it'll be Starbucks anymore. Um, but, you know, I, I'm tired of seeing angels. I'm tired of all those those holy roller righteous people in their brand new bodies walking around all over the place and you can't go anywhere and do anything and think anything uh, unless one of those guys are around. This whole presence of, of righteousness on the earth is just, ah, it's irritating to me. And Satan is released and their hearts are revealed and they want to war against Jesus. They're convinced that they could succeed in a war against Jesus. They, they, their hearts are full of rage. They just want to knock us in the teeth and try to kill us. And, 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 you know, as if these things were possible. But when people are in a sinful mind frame, uh, logic and reason doesn't work. Reality doesn't work. They're in their own little bubble of thinking. And, and it's, it's irrational. It's unrealistic. But, but you, can't, you can't convince them otherwise. Now, I just want to stop here, and, and, and some of you guys will, will think this is wise, and others are going to go, I don't know if he's got it right on this. Why does Satan have to have an opportunity 
to deceive the earth one more time. Let me ask you this. This is a question that people often ask. Why couldn't God, right at the beginning with Adam and Eve, just make a righteous earth with righteous people? Why couldn't that just happen right at the beginning? No Satan, no temptation, just always righteous. Well, it's a little bit of a long explanation, but it goes something like this. We had to have free will. Because if we don't have free will, we're just given the opportunity to love God, to love God a lot, or to really, really love God. We're, we're robots. You see, we're puppets. In order to truly love God and to show that love for God, we have to be given the full spectrum of free will to hate and to love. And you can't just say, I give you free will and, and not give you an opportunity to use that free will. It, it can't exist. It's like no cars existed at all, but I give you keys to say, hey, drive whenever you want. But what are these keys to? A car. What's a car? There are no cars. Yeah, but feel free to drive anytime you want. It, it doesn't make sense. So there had to be given the knowledge of good and evil as well as the tree of life. And there had to be a way where man can choose God. You see what I'm saying? If, if man didn't have an ability to choose God and choose love, choose to do righteously, love means nothing, okay? If I make a robot and I, I program that robot to always obey me and always love me and always want to do my will, and then the robot says, I love you, Brian. How can I please you today? I, I, I'm not going to feel like, oh, this robot loves me so much. <laughs> Every day he tells me he loves me and all he wants to do is my will. I've programmed it. You know what I'm saying? It means zero to me in the same way. The other thing is, is for us to attain our highest as human beings, which is to love with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We have to have the ability to hate and to rebel with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so we are now on an earth where daily in these sinful bodies in a sinful world with Satan at work behind the scenes in ways we don't always predict or know what's going on or aware of, we are against all odds choosing to live for God and not our flesh. We're choosing to seek him when everything in our body says, don't pray, don't read your Bible, don't go to church, don't live for God. You know, come on, loosen up a little bit and enjoy yourself. I mean, we're every day, right? But what happens to a person who does that every day in this environment, all of a sudden now we're in an environment where there is no devil, there is everybody's in agreement to love God, and we're in brand new bodies, and these bodies want to love God. What are the odds now that we're going to do that for eternity? <laughs> 100%, right? So you can see that, yes, God is going to make an earth where all us humans can have complete free will, but we'll always choose to do righteously. But we can't get there until we go through a time where we have proven that our free will is to serve and obey God. And it's been tested.
So right now we're in a world where um, the angels have gone through that. You say, well, why, why did it happen in heaven? All those angels chose God, and it was hard. Because one-third of those angels sided with Satan. But the two-thirds that stayed, they chose God. So their free will. Angels have chosen to serve God and reject Satan. All of us who have lived, who are born again, we are choosing God. And it is an uphill battle till the, we breathe our last, you know. One day we may be, you know, 98 years old and, and, and we're in a bed and we can't hardly move, but we're mad at that nurse and, and that doctor, he never comes around enough. And oh, that hospital food. And they come in going, hey, brother, you're not in the spirit. Oh, man, I'm in the flat. Okay, can't move, but yet my heart could still be sinful, right? I mean, to the last breath, we're going to be fighting this flesh. And so what about the babies that are aborted or little children who die? They have not really had a chance to, to choose their free will. And so we're all going to be resurrected back onto this earth. And then those in the thousand-year millennial reign, they really didn't have a lot of choice <laughs> to serve God. I mean, to, to rebel against God. They were, you know, if they chose to rebel God, they were basically um, descendants. And so Satan's release, so if you think about it, Everybody from Adam, everybody who's ever lived on the earth, and those who didn't have t time to live a long time on earth, now have a chance to be tempted by Satan and to choose God. Do you, do you get this? So you say, well, what about pygmies who lived in the jungle and, and didn't have that much light or whatever? I understand. There's going to be a moment in time when everybody has had a chance to choose God or can be confronted. And so then, after this thousand-year millennial reign, this, this happens. God melts everything with the fervent heat, as we're going to see in a minute. There's a new heavens and a new earth. And everybody on that new earth will have 100% free will. There'll be no devil. Everybody, there won't be a spirit of the world that, that doesn't want God, and we'll be in a new bodies, and our bodies actually will crave to walk righteously. I mean, can you imagine that? It's, it's, we can't even imagine that, can we? Because we only know bodies that are, are sold under sin into bondage. You know, things I don't want to do, I do. Things I do want to do, I don't do. And so that, there's sort of a little explanation, and I, I can see some of you going, that's brilliant, and others of you guys going, yeah, i got to think about that. So I, I get it. I get it. A lot of speculation in there, but I, I think that's the, the, the reasoning there. So, um, and so we see here that they, they come against that final battle, and we're there in that final battle, and then uh, everything is cast uh, into that lake of fire forever and ever. Now, in verse 11, and I saw the great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So we see this great white throne. It's great. 
referring to the power and authority of God. It's white, referring to purity and holiness. And it's a throne, revealing that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, his sovereignty. And he sat on it, showing again that that he is the authority. Who, Who is sitting on it? Look in John 5 with me, verse 22 to 29. This is an important point. Jesus says in John 5, 22, the Father judges no one, whoa, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Why? That all should honor the Son just as equals to they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted his Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice, for the hour is, um, and will come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And also in Acts 10.42, Peter was preaching in his gospel message. (laughs) He says, he commanded us to preach to the people to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge, the living and the dead, two clear separate groups. And so um, nobody can flee from the throne. There is no place to be hidden from there. As As it says in Philippians 2, it's the Father's pleasure that unto Jesus every knee would bow, every tongue will confess he is Lord. Those who are under the earth, those who are on the earth, those who are above the earth, to the glory of the Father, that Jesus is Lord. And so, are believers in this white throne judgment? No. But do we have a judgment? Yes. He makes it clear. I'm going to judge the living, and I'm going to judge those who have not believed under condemnation. Now, this is where I, I find that sometimes, for, and I'm sort of unaware why, that this is, can you make it a little cooler in here, Dell? And um, that, that Christians think that they're not going to come before a judgment seat of Christ. But we clearly are. And I'm going to read some verses on this with you right now. And hopefully you do have notes. That'll be very helpful. But um, it's not the great white throne judgment. It's the Bema seat. In Romans 14, verse 10 through 12, it says, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. He's talking to the believers there. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 and 11, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, good or bad. Paul says to the believers, knowing, therefore, that the terror of the Lord, I have this fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience. 
Paul describes this after the judgment, how it will look for some believers and, and, and for other believers. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 through 15, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. He's, he's a born again believer. And so some believers are gonna have zero reward. They got born again, but they never really surrendered. They never really came to walking in faith. They never became a person who had that daily surrender to God, uh, that, that they were walking out, as Paul says in Philippians 2, work out, not work for, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling, know that, knowing that God is at work to will for your good pleasure. Uh, the Bible says that we need to um, understand that God's created us to be a work of art, a poema unto God, that he's predestined good works that we should walk in them. So we, did, we have a free will. And even as believers, there's a degree. Some will bear 20-fold, some will bear 60-fold, some will bear, bear 100-fold. But it's possible for some, um, as Jude talks about it, you know, there are some believers that are so carnal that you literally, as, as Jude describes it, as the rapture happens, you got to lean over and grab him, snatching him into the rapture with you. And it says their, their garments smell of their sin. You can smell the alcohol or smell the illicit sex or smell the, the, the marijuana or whatever it is. I don't know. And, and their little bottom is getting singed as they're getting raptured. Um, snatching them out of the fire that they barely escape. Um, and, and, uh, and so what's Paul's attitude on this? Understanding this, he says on in 1 Corinthians 3 there, in verse 16 and 17, do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the spirit of God dwells in you? We're the holy of holies. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So we see this with Ananias and Sapphira when they made it look like they were giving everything, when they were only giving a portion, and they killed over dead. I think we're going to see them in heaven, but I don't think they're going to have a reward or much of one. Um, we also see in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, some of you are taking communion in an unworthy way. And I'm spanking you. That's why you're sick or why you're weak. And then that weakness turned into sickness. And then he said, others, I finally just had to punish you to death. That you would be punished by me now because you're not, you're not taking communion in a worthy way. I'm judging you on the spot like Ananias and Sapphira that you won't be judged along with the world. So... Um, again, I, I think that, that we can often have this flippant attitude that, that as it talks about in, in, in Hebrews 10, 
where we as believers are so flippant about walking in an obedient life, we're actually insulting the spirit of grace. You know, you know, people that have been raised Catholic when they become Christians, they all have the same story. You know, I would send my life off. I'd go to a party Saturday night, but I would make sure I got into confessional before midnight, confess all my sins so I didn't feel guilty going to church the next day. But then right after church, I'd start my sinning again. But I'd make sure I slide in there on Saturday night to go to the confessional again to get the slate clean. They had no intentions of living a life for Christ. It was just a religious act. And there are people with that attitude. It's like, yeah, you know. It'd be good. It'd be, it'd be better if I, I, I lived a, a obedient, submitted life to Christ. But either way, I got my fire insurance. And, and they have such an attitude. And uh, may work for some people. I, 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 I'm not going to take that chance. Notice what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 19. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance. But as he who called you be holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges, according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay, sojourning here, in fear, knowing that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from our aimless conduct received by the traditions from our fathers. We're not in the Old Testament. <laughs> this is a New Testament thing after the cross. But with the precious blood of Christ, as is of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Paul says it even more strictly in Hebrews 12, verse 14, and into the first part of 15, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And so we as believers are going to give an account all that we've done in our bodies, not for condemnation, God's taken the condemnation of our sin and scattered it as far as the east is to the west. God's taken the condemnation of our sin, buried it in the deep of the sea. God requires all of us to be punished for our sins. Not one person's going to be in heaven that was not punished for their sins. But we didn't do it, did we? Jesus on the cross was punished for our sins. This is why when people say, well, there's many ways to God, you have no idea how insulting that is to God. Jesus experienced, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He re received our sin upon himself. He received the rejection we should have received. He received the stripes we should have received. He received the wrath of, our, of the judgment of our sins upon himself. So understand, we, God didn't just get a wand out and say, oh, you're forgiven. No. For every sin has to be made account. Wherever there is a sin, it has to be justice fulfilled. And the justice of our sins are fulfilled in Christ. 
So understand when, when people say, well, I think there's more than one way. But well, let, me, let me just give you an analogy. There's a drunk in the street and I see him there and I, I grab and my son, excuse me, my son runs out and he pushes the drunk out of the way and he gets hit by the car. And people walk up going, ah, that drunk would have made it. Whoever that guy was, he was stupid. And I'm standing there watching the, the heroism of my son and it taking his life. And another guy goes, oh yeah, that drunk, he's always stumbling around out here. I, I don't know why that guy did that. He, the car would have stopped. It, it was not going that fast. Okay, as a father, <laughs> and I'm, I'm there right next to him observing, going, all of your commentaries are, are <coughs> insulting to my son. They're offensive to me. And then if the drunk were to say, yeah, that was so stupid of that guy. I'm doing great. Do you understand how insulting that is? Now, if you believe there is another way to heaven, Christianity, the God of Christianity, is the most evil of person that could exist. Because Jesus is saying, Father, is any other way for this cup to pass? And there's silence. A rhetorical no. Jesus goes to the cross, you know, he takes the beating, he takes the humiliation, he takes the, the horrible torture of a cross, and he raises from the dead, and the Father said, all right, we have 700 different ways now. We got Hare Krishna, we got just being good, being moral, and now we have a 700 way. Did you understand Jesus died on the cross it's wicked of the father to ask that of his son. And not only that, but it makes Jesus an idiot. Because I'm one of 700 different ways. But, but again, picture this. If the father knows there's another way to save somebody, and he asks his son to go and experience torture, a torturous experience, to save that person, and the person saved, you know, I mean, just picture a, a minute where you got this chasm, and the son, you know, puts his life at jeopardy and climbs down this cliff and climbs up the other cliff, and he's bleeding, and, you know, things have bit him, and he's scratched up, and he's bleeding to death, and, and he goes across the chasm, and he gets the guy, and he brings the guy back across, and then the son's coming up on the verge of death, bringing this guy to safety, and the father's going, here's a plank, ah, you know, <laughs> there's a bridge right over there, uh, here's a rope you could have swung across. You see, that would make the father evil, torturing his son when there was another way. And that would make the son a complete doof. But on the other hand, if there was no other way that could be saved, and the son was willing to sacrifice his own life to see even the least of us saved, matter of fact, the lesser of the person that's saved, it speaks of his righteousness, it speaks of his heroism.
So the New Testament is either about the most wicked father and the most stupid son, or it's about the most loving father and the most amazing sacrificial son. But you can't have an in-between saying there is another way besides Jesus and have Christianity be true. And so we, we see here that all of us now need to take into our sober thinking and realize that Christ suffered such a tragic, torturous death to pay our sins because there's no way we could go to heaven unless our sins have been paid for, punished for, justice has come upon it. And Jesus did that and nobody else could do that. He had to be man in order to bleed and to, and to pay for the penalty of man. But he had to be God in order to, 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 for his punishment not to just be for one person, but for all people. So he had to be, according to the flesh, to be our substitute. He had to be God eternal, that his blood and his sacrifice would be for all men for all time. Who else can be that? <laughs> There is no other creature that could exist. And understand, it had to be the Son. If Jesus, if God made a man to die for them, that again makes God evil. That's me, like me grabbing my son and throwing him in to the drunker, and my son gets killed. People aren't going to come and pat me on the back saying, Brian, what a hero. What are they going to call me? A murderer. Sadistic. God couldn't make an angel the same thing. God could not make another creature to die for our sins without him being a sadistic, evil God. But yet if he does it himself, then again, he becomes pure and righteous and holy and a hero. Well, there are more to, to go over here, but our time is out. And so we will pick up here and look at these things uh, coming up next week as we probably will make it all the way through chapter 21 and then just have chapter 22 and, and we're done. So Lord, we come before you tonight and just ask again that you would take these scriptures, Lord, and, and purify us to realize what a gospel we have and that there is no other name under heaven that men can be saved, that Jesus alone can be the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way that could be in the past or ever could be in the future that could possibly exist of a way unto heaven, a way unto the Father, unless the Father can declare us righteous as Jesus is righteous because we truly are without spot, blemish, any sin, because all our sins have been paid for with a just payment, satisfied by the, the justice of pure, pure justice of God. And we thank you, Jesus, that you went all the way, all the way, all the way through all of that torturous night, through that horrible, evil trial, through the, the, the parade as you carried the, the patabulum of, upon your shoulders and your beard was ripped out and, and they spat upon you and they hit you and mocked you as the nails went in your hand as you stayed on that cross until you breathed your last. The pain 
of the humiliation, of nakedness, of, the, of seeing others that love you suffer, uh, of seeing the Father and that sense of all our sins coming upon you and that rejection that we should have received. It's, it's, we can't even fathom at all. But thank you, Lord, for eternal life. Thank you for that gift. And let us all now walk in a manner worthy of you, pleasing you in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work, because you are worthy of all praise, of all honor, of all daily submission to you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.